Well, the um, little ones are not with us this morning, and that means I have a license to preach. And so, uh, since I haven't been in the pulpit for a while, I'm going to love you in the only way uh, I know how to love you, as my wife will say, with hard love. Put on your seatbelts. We've got to tie up our series uh, in Genesis. We'll be moving on, Lord willing, next week back to the Gospel of Matthew. But we want to land this plane, if we can, on um, the God of Genesis and His counsel and His care for our anger and for our discontent and our anxiety. And as we consider this, we come right to the beginning, to the God of Genesis and to the God-breathed words of Genesis chapter 4 and to God's very gracious shepherding of a sinner named Cain, a sinner who in many ways is, is like us. And very specifically, God is shepherding Cain. As you'll recall, he's shepherding his anger and his discontent. And later, as we're going to see, he's going to shepherd his anxiety as well. And it's with this counsel, the Lord God, he shows us. And he's showing Cain first, but he's also showing us that the God of Genesis is not only the holy creator and king the one who holds all men accountable to his words. He is also a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And he is a gracious, gracious counselor who cares for sinners like us. And that includes caring for our anger, our anxiety, our anxieties, we could say, and our discontent. That is the good God that we serve. He loves us and he cares about what we worry about, our concerns, the burdens of our hearts, the things we struggle with. And including the things that we get upset about and we get angry about. And these, quite frankly, brothers and sisters, these are things that we all struggle with if we're honest with ourselves. There are things that we struggle with on a day-to-day basis that we are anxious over, that we are discontent over, that we get angry over. And if ever there was a time and a place where we need help and we need deliverance, from our anger and from our anxiety and from our discontent. It certainly is America and it's us and it's here and it's now. And we've seen that, right? We've lived through that. The articles in the newspaper and the journals overflowing. The incidents that are happening as everybody tries to get their mind around. The amount of columns that are coming out from psychologists and experts on how do we deal with this. And yet the problem seems to go on and on. And in spite of the fact that we live in a time and place where we have never been wealthier, we've never been more educated, we have never had more science and technology at our disposal, I think it's a fair statement to say never have we been more anxious, more discontent, and more angry, especially here in arguably the wealthiest nation in the world a nation who many nations around the world are trying to emulate and become like us. And hopefully they don't want to become like us in our anger and our anxiety and our discontent. But the good news of God's word in Genesis 4 is that there is indeed a remedy for our anger and our anxiety and discontent. But brothers and sisters, it's a remedy that begins with God and not with us. And it begins, this remedy, 
with listening to God and listening to what he has to say to us. And brothers and sisters, that's our big truth for this exposition this morning and maybe the whole series. God's remedy for us begins with us listening to him and very specifically what he has to say about us, what he has to say about our desires, and what he has to say about our hearts. And of course, the question before us is, will we listen to him? And that brings us to Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to start by reading this in portions. We'll read verses 1 to 7. And we'll begin to consider what the Lord has to say to Cain and what he has to say to us. The counsel of the Lord for our anger and discontent. Genesis 4.1 Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, when it, it comes to our anger and our anxiety and our discontent, I think for most of us, our tendency is to initially try to avoid dealing with it. And that's because dealing with anger and dealing with discontent and dealing with angry people and dealing with discontent people is usually ugly and unpleasant and uncomfortable. And for most of us who are Asians, you know how we deal with that. We kind of tiptoe around until it gets to the boiling point and it explodes, right? We walk on eggshells. And we look at those patterns and we see what we're really trying to do is we tend to deny, we tend to deflect, and we tend to minimize anger wherever it is. We kind of try and pretend that it doesn't exist. And what we're really doing is we're lying to ourselves and everybody else that this is no big deal until it becomes a big deal. And that's true in churches and gatherings and workplaces our anger, our discontent, and our anxiety is not a big deal until it becomes a big deal. And as we talked about in that article that I read to you from the Los Angeles Times, it's that view that exploding at Disneyland is no big deal. It's normal. And that's kind of how we deal with things until, of course, we have all these incidents where people are shooting people in churches and shopping malls, and then we don't know what to do about it. And we try and legislate our way out of the problem. But as we listen to what God is saying to Cain, he's saying something remarkably different in this first account of human anger in Scripture. And the Lord graciously begins to show Cain and us that our anger and our discontent, they are a very big deal. And they're a very big deal to God. 
And in love, the Lord does not avoid dealing with anger. It's interesting to note, and we need to consider this, shepherds, and we need to consider this, biblical counselors, and we need to consider this, brothers and sisters, the Lord does not shy away from addressing anger, and that's because he's able to deal with it, and he's able to deal with it in a gracious way, and he's able to bring the only remedy for anger that there is, and that remedy is himself. But what he begins to point out to Cain is that his anger is a big deal, as is his discontent. And it's something that needs to be addressed rightly according to God's word. And why? Because according to God's word, our anger and discontent are more than just what psychologists refer to as an evolutionary self-preserving brain reflex. It's something that we need to consider. And for most of us, our anger and our discontent are weapons of mass destruction. That's what we're going to see as we walk through the rest of Genesis chapter 4. Our anger and our discontent are weapons of mass destruction that are ruled by the desires and beliefs of our sinful hearts. Sin weaponizes our desires. Sin weaponizes our beliefs. Sin weaponizes our emotions, our feelings, our words, and our actions in order to destroy everything that is good in our life. Most importantly, our relationship with the Lord. And that, I believe, is where God is graciously starting to shepherd Cain in a very gentle way with these questions to begin to say, Cain, there's more going on here than you just having a hot head. And that brings us to our first point for this morning. God's gracious counsel shows us what's behind our anger and our discontent. God's gracious counsel shows us what's behind our anger and our discontent. And this is what the Lord God begins to do in verses 6 through 7, in the counsel that he gives Cain. In verse 6 he says, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? Now, what are the two words that are repeated there in the beginning of verse 6? I'm getting you warmed up for Logos, your exegesis that's coming down the pipeline. Why? He repeats it two times. And you, in Hebrew, you or your, okay, together. Alright, why and you? And what's the Lord doing here? Well, if you go on in the rest of this section, which is up here on the screen, the Lord repeats the word you seven times. That's a big deal, right? And the Lord begins to point out, and he draws this connection for the reason for our anger and us. Your anger might be provoked by circumstances or other people, but at the end of the day, your anger is yours. This is about you. Your anger is about you. We are responsible for our anger. Our anger belongs to us. And if we're going to have a remedy for our angers, brothers and sisters, even if we have been wronged against, and that happens living in this world, employers, friends, spouses, the list goes on and on. There's never ever going to be a remedy for our anger if we're looking at everybody else and we're denying and deflecting and blame shifting and we don't begin to look at the Lord and ourselves. 
And what the Lord then does in the rest of verse 6 and 7 is he draws a connection for Cain, from Cain's anger to Cain's choices, what he's responsible for, to the desire that rules over Cain's heart. And you'll see this, verse 6, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Where does the Lord begin? He begins with the visible display of anger in Cain's life, physical and spiritual, the whole person response, what we talked about last time. And then he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, where does he go next? He goes to Cain's choices. And each step, the Lord is going deeper and deeper and deeper into Cain's heart. And then what does he say? Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And he comes to Cain with desire and rule. What is it and what is the desire that rules our hearts and our lives? Cain, is it going to be sin? And it's with these words that the Lord shows Cain and us. Our anger is the consequence, brothers and sisters, of our choices. Now those might be very fast choices. They might be patterns of choices. They might be habits. There's no question about it. But at the end of the day, the consequences of our choices, we choose to be angry. We choose to be discontent. We choose to be anxious. And those choices are driven by the desire that rules over our hearts and our lives. Now, do those responses, can they be mediated by our bodies, our hormones, the time of the month, our struggles and our challenges, the evenings that we don't get enough sleep? Absolutely. But there's a difference between an influence and a cause, brothers and sisters. Even the physicians who are among us know that there's a distinction between influencers and causes. And you do need a good night's sleep and you do need to be well rested. But nonetheless, those aren't the underlying causes. The underlying causes comes from what we want and what we care about most. We just can't control it as well in the evenings that we don't sleep terribly well or we're not doing so well physically. Our anger, brothers and sisters, and our anxiety and our discontent are always about what we care about most. What we believe is important and what we desire. How many of you get anxious and upset and discontent and angry over things or people you don't care about? Julie and I, we went to Israel with Dr. Versanti years ago. 13 years ago. It was an unofficial honeymoon. And when we went on that trip, um, there was a young, attractive lady who had multiple medical issues. They weren't too big, but she had them. And so since I was the ex-physician on the trip, I was the person who they would come to to say, can you help? And what was amazing as this trip went on was that many of the young seminarians would come to me burdened for this young lady. 
Mark, can, can we speak with you privately? I thought, okay, what's going on here? Is there another person to get together with privately? Young man, single. Can you tell me what's happening with so-and-so? I'm just really burdened. I've been praying. How's she doing spiritually? How's, how's she doing physically? I know it's just been challenging. And it wasn't just one, on and on. Now, on that trip, there were other ladies on that trip. They were older. And in fact, one was a single mother. And they had a lot of medical problems. In fact, they would come to get me sometimes in the middle of the night. Those single men were never there. And they never came to me and said, I'm burdened for Mrs. So-and-so who's got terrible high blood pressure. Is she going to have a stroke? And the other one who passed out, I'm worried about so-and-so. We haven't seen her. Zero. Right? I mean, guys, let's be real. We get angry, we get anxious, we get discontent about the things that we care about the most. And God graciously comes along and shows us This is what's behind our anger, our ruling desires and belief. And it's worth stopping when we get angry and we get upset and we get anxious. God's getting our attention and maybe he's even brought problems or provocations into our life or people who do do wrong things against us to get our attention to say, what is really ruling your heart and life? What are the ruling desires of your life? And it's a kindness from him. And as we look at Cain, what's the ruling desire in his life? What does he care about the most? Well, we can go on and say, okay, well, what happens when the Lord does not give Cain what he wants? And brothers and sisters, you know, for Cain, it looks like he's not being loved by God in the way he wants to be loved. It's not enough that God's present in his life. It's not enough that God counsels him. It's not enough that when he's angry, God comes along gently and says, why are you angry? He wants something more. It's what Dr. Grisanti talked about last week. Is God enough? And brothers and sisters, we ask, okay, well, what happens when we don't get loved by God the way we want to be loved? What happens when we don't get what we want? The family, the spouse, the car, the boyfriend, the girlfriend. The friends. What are the things that bring us to anger and anxiety and discontent? And to Cain and us, the Lord God gives us a warning. He says, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And this brings us to our second point for the morning. God's gracious counsel confronts us with a very simple choice. God's gracious counsel confronts us with a very simple choice. In biblical counseling, we're not here just to talk to you and get you to do homework. Ultimately, God and his love for us as he speaks to us is presenting us with a truth that confronts us with a choice. And very simply, here with Cain, it's a very simple choice. And brothers and sisters, it is the only choice and the most important choice in your life. Will we listen to God or not? Will we listen to God or not? That's it. Who you marry, will we listen to God or not? Where you work, will we listen to God or not? How you serve at church, will we listen to God or not? How we speak to our wives and our children, will we listen to the Lord or not? And our choices reveal 
the desires of our heart. And they have incredible consequences. And that's one of the reasons why the Lord is confronting Cain with this choice. The consequences are huge. And as we walk through verses 18 through 24, we're going to see the consequences in Cain's life from his choice. And what is Cain's choice? Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. Brothers and sisters, when we do not listen to the Lord, it leads to one place and one place alone. When we do not listen to his counsel and his words that speak into our heart, it leads to one place and one place alone. And that's because sin leads to one place alone. And sinful desires and sinful choices and sinful anger leads to one place and one place alone. It leads to death and destroying everything and anything that's good in our life, beginning with our relationship with the Lord. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters, when we choose not to listen to the Lord and instead we choose to do what our society, our culture, our friends, our movies, our songs tell us to do. This is what happens when you listen to your heart. I looked up on Apple iTunes. How many songs were listened to your heart? You go and look. It ain't a little. It's the anthem of our generation. Listen to your heart. Well, the Lord's warnings, brothers and sisters, when we listen to our heart, when we do not listen to the Lord, the Lord's warnings become our tragedies. The Lord's warnings become our tragedies. And why is that the case? It's because His Word is true and He does not lie. His Word is authoritative. It is inerrant. It is sufficient. He does not lie. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire will rule over us. It will consume our heart and our mind. And like a predatory animal, it will not stop until it defiles and destroys everything that is good in our lives. Our relationship with the Lord, our marriages, our relationship with our children, our churches, our elder boards, every aspect. It fills your mind. Anger and discontent unchecked become resentment and bitterness. Resentment and bitterness fill our hearts and boil over into what we say and what we do. And that word bitterness refers to something that bites. It pokes. And bitterness is a reference to anger at the point where it's brewed so much and it's coming out and it's simmering that it burns to the touch. It is harsh and it does damage. And this is why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus draws a direct line between the anger in our hearts and murder, the lust in our hearts and adultery. And why he says in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, what we think. But then he goes on to actions, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. And that's why when we're shepherding and we go through counsel and someone's got a problem with pornography or anger, the aim of our counsel is not just to say, stop it. In love, we want to come to God's word and say, okay, well, what is really ruling your heart? And then you have a choice. Am I going to cover it up? Or am I going to listen to the Lord? 
And this is why the psalmist and the apostle Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, lest the devil get a foothold. And in verse 9, the Lord confronts Cain with another simple question. Where is Abel, your brother? And Cain's answer is revealing. He says, I do not know. That's a brazen lie. Am I my brother's keeper? Hardness of heart, sarcasm, mocking God, and saying, this is not my problem. How many times have you heard that? It's not my problem. It's up to them. That's for them to sort out. And brothers and sisters, I've heard that in church leadership. Guys have said, well, listen, that's up to them. If they want to go down that path, they've got to learn the hard way. And there is a place when people are not listening and not hearing before the Lord where we've tried and we've persuaded and they choose that. Right? Not, you know, you answer a fool not according to their folly. And we do have to say we don't throw our pearls before swine. And there is a place where there's hardness of heart where someone has chosen to go that way, we let them go. But we have to be careful with that, brothers and sisters. What's Cain doing here? He's denying, he's deflecting, and he's normalizing his sin. And he's mocking God. And he's saying this is no big deal. Exploding at Disneyland. No big deal. He's normalizing his sin. And brothers and sisters, sin by definition is everything that God is not. Sin is selfish, sin is prideful, sin is deceitful, and it is dark. And brothers and sisters, what God is showing us here is this is what we become when we do not listen to God. And instead, we listen to our sinful desires. We become hardened. We become brazen. We become deceitful. We conceal our sins. These are the patterns that happen when we choose not to listen to God and we choose to listen to our sinful desires and we choose to pursue those sinful desires. We become hardened people. We become what the psalmist and in Proverbs refers to as scoffers and fools. The fool has said in his heart there is no God. And here Cain believes he can fool God. I don't know where he is. It's not my problem. Then the Lord goes on in verses 17 through 22. And he shows us the consequence of Cain's actions and Cain's foolishness. And it's devastating because it's not just limited to Cain. It goes on and that hardness of heart And that denial of the Lord and that mockery goes not only from Cain, but it goes to his children for every generation. And coming back to verse 10 and 12, the Lord shows Cain and us the initial consequences of this folly. It says, verse 10, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. God does see, God does know. And the consequence of our choice not to listen to God is the judgment of God, the accountability of God. This is what's waiting for the foolish. And now, verse 11, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth. 
Here, brothers and sisters, we see the justice of God and we see the truthfulness of God and we see the goodness of God. God does not tolerate sin or foolishness. This idea of God's unconditional love. Does God love sinners? Absolutely. Does God tolerate their sin and foolishness? He does not. He provides a way. He sacrifices His Son. But He also calls us to holiness and sanctification. He holds us accountable for all we choose to do. And He condemns and He curses both sin and sinners. And He separates sin and sinners from the goodness and grace of God. And this is His just judgment. He separates sinners from what they abuse. Praise God for that. And we see that three of God's gracious gifts that He's given to Cain. What are they? First and foremost, He's given Cain His presence. Secondly, He's given Cain a family. Third, He's given Cain a job, the land, the work. Three things, His presence, the land, and a family. And what has Cain done? He has mocked and abused all three. And he said, I don't need any of it. Don't need my brother. Land whatever. And Lord, I don't need your presence either. And I don't need your counsel. And I don't need your words. And so we see that God's judgment and the condemnation and the curse of Cain and his sin is the Lord removes all three from Cain. His presence, the land, and his family. And once again, Cain responds to God's word in verse 13 and 14, shows what's really in his heart. And it goes all the way back to the beginning so we get to see what was behind Cain's anger in the first place. 13, Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, who's Cain referring to? Well, Genesis 5, 4, when you go on, it shows that Adam and Eve had other children. And it's probably the extended family. And as you read through the text, you realize that the text isn't telling us everything. It is focusing on the points that the Lord wants us to know. So the details about the others who are populating the earth from Adam and Eve are not primary to this story. God wants us to focus on Cain and his choices and the consequences of those choices. And who the Lord is. Okay? And in Genesis 5-4 we see that Adam and Eve have other children. And so the issue here is, do you think the rest of Cain's family is upset with Cain? I'm sure they found Abel a much nicer brother to deal with. And the desire to ostracize him and to kill him or take vengeance is probably high. But at the end of the day, as we come back to this and we hear Cain's res- response, who is Cain worried about here? Is he crying about Abel? The word that's repeated over and over again is I. This is more than I can bear. What did your brother bear? Your face. I shall be hidden. From your face, I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive. Whoever finds me will kill me. And we see what happens, brothers and sisters, when we do not listen to the Lord and we choose to follow our sinful desires. We become increasingly hardened, increasingly selfish, increasingly dark, increasingly blind. And even when we start to receive God's counsel and beware of this, we listen to it only to think about how is this going to affect me personally, my comfort, my life. And brothers and sisters, we see that, right? We see that. 
People can read their Bibles and all they're concerned about is how does this affect me? People say I'm repentant and really all they're sorrowful for is that they've had things taken away from them. Brothers and sisters, we see here where Cain's anxiety begins. Where does Cain's anxiety begin? When he's cut off from the presence of the Lord and he has to fend for himself and he has to begin to deal with the consequences of his choices. Brothers and sisters, our anxiety, we need to consider about what we worry about. And God is gracious and compassionate about this. And he calls us when we're anxious to come to him. But we have to consider, ultimately when we're anxious, who are we thinking about the most? Well, in verse 15 and 16, the Lord shows Cain undeserved mercy and grace. And you know the story. He puts a mark on Cain as a warning to anyone who's tempted to attack Cain. As a limitation. So that there is not a vengeance that continues But then we read in verse 16, it says, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. That name, Land of Nod, it always makes me wonder. I think of that children's modern furniture store called the Land of Nod that got bought by Crate and Barrel. And so if any of you can tell me why they would name it that, maybe there's a good reason. We'll put our child in a crib that was made by Cain, far from the presence of the Lord. Anyways, maybe there's a good reason. But as we come to the end, we see the most grave thing and the consequence, the greatest judgment, is to be removed from God's presence. Because God is good and He's loving and He's kind to sinners. And we see here that the way of the transgressor, brothers and sisters, is hard. And it's lonely. Our sin and our sinful desires, beware. They separate us from the only remedy for our anger, our anxiety, and our discontent. It separates us from the presence of the Lord, brothers and sisters. And this is God's remedy. This is God's remedy for our sinfulness and for our anger and for our discontent. Well, as you read the rest of the chapter, and I'll leave that for your homework, you're going to go and see that this consequence doesn't, get, doesn't stop with Cain. You're going to see it goes on with each generation, with Cain's family. And what's interesting as you go through that section is you see that initially it talks about them building a city, and it talks about the descendants of Cain becoming those who develop the land, those who develop technology, and those who develop music. And I bring this to you as a footnote or what's worth noting. Cain's descendants go on and they actually have great material success. And also, in fact, we begin to see the patterns of people who do not listen to the Lord or call upon His name and they don't have the presence of the Lord. They look to technology, they look to entertainment, and they look to music to be a bomb for their soul for the sin that has not been dealt with. And I raise this to us, brothers and sisters, because even unbelievers have noted in journals and in the health departments, our intake, brothers and sisters, of media and social media and entertainment have only accelerated our discontent, our anxiety, and our anger. 
And I say this to us for where we live and where we are. It's no surprise as we shepherd young men who struggle with pornography or young women, those who deal with anger or outbursts, when we're living in a place where the click of the button gives us immediate gratification, are we accelerating and intensifying our sinful desires or are we separating from them? And is it any surprise as we go to diversions that give us distraction and comfort for a minute and a moment where we don't have to think about what's in our hearts and the problems of our lives and have an escape. When those diversions are gone, where does it leave us? And we see at the end, even though Cain's descendants are successful and they develop technology and instruments and music, by the end of it, we see that Cain's descendants have multiple wives and profess to be vengeful people who will kill sevenfold what Cain did. And we see through that that our own remedies to get away from our discontent and our anxiety do not diminish, but instead the anger continues. Now an objection comes up at this point in time. And people will come and say, okay, well, Pastor Mark, that's Cain and that's sinful anger. But didn't we read in Deuteronomy today about God being angry? And didn't we read in the Psalms about God being angry? And didn't Jesus get angry? And, you know, more often than not, when I get angry, it's not that evil Cain anger. I don't kill anybody. Mine's righteous anger. And in fact, very often in counseling, when people come to us, most of the people with anger issues actually contend, Christians, either that they're not angry or that their anger is not sinful. They've got the good anger. Pastor Mark, what's going on here? Well, I am so glad that you asked. This brings us to our third point. Righteous and redemptive anger begins and ends with God, not us. Righteous and redemptive anger begins and ends with God, not us. As we walk through the scriptures, indeed, God does show us that he has anger. And there is such a thing as righteous and holy and good anger. But brothers and sisters, that's an anger that belongs to God. And it begins and ends with him, our holy creator and king. It doesn't begin and it does not end with us. And contrary to popular opinion... As you read through scripture, God is indeed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And as you walk through, you do this. You add up all the episodes of God's love and his forgiveness and his mercy and his grace and his kindness. Just go Old Testament. Just go Old Testament. And you put that in one column and you put the episodes where he talks about his wrath and his anger. And you will see that God's mercy and grace is infinitely huge. And the moments of anger are small in comparison. God does not lie. This is who he is. And we distort that, don't we? It doesn't mean that God's anger is not scary. It does not mean it is not real. But his anger and wrath, it's the expression of his holiness and his justice. And his anger is righteous. And brothers and sisters, his anger is redemptive. Can you say that about your anger? 
God's anger comes in and it destroys evil and it destroys sin and it removes it from what is good. And that's why we read in Deuteronomy what Garrett read to us in the morning. He's telling the people, when someone is trying to take you on a path of sinful desire and idolatry, in the Old Testament, you destroy those people and that person. The Lord's anger is an expression of His hatred of all that is evil and sinful and His love of all that is good. His anger is His whole person response against what is not good, what is sin and evil, and an expression of what is pure and holy. And as we go to Genesis 1 and 2, we see that, in fact, God did create you to be angry. Wayne Mack makes the statement, the Lord God created us to be good and angry. The Lord God created us to be good and angry. You're made in His image. You're created to reflect His goodness. You're supposed to be merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You were created to be offended by what is evil and what is sinful and what is not good. And that includes what's in your own heart. We were created to be offended and grieved by what offends and grieves the Lord. We were created to have a whole person reaction, physical and spiritual, against sin and evil and its consequences. But there's a big difference here. You're not God. And you're not Jesus. And that's where things get to be a problem, brothers and sisters. When we talk about our righteous anger and our holy anger. When we start to talk about our righteous and holy anger and our right to be angry, who do we start talking like? As if we're God and we're not. And Scripture has a word for that. It's called blasphemy. And the other difference that comes up is where we stand in biblical history. We live after Genesis 3. We live in a time and a place where our hearts are not good, our hearts are not holy, our desires and our beliefs have been contaminated by sin. And this is called the total depravity of man, what theologians call the total depravity of man, that every aspect of our life has been corrupted by sin. And that includes the desires of our heart. Are we as bad as we could be? No. But are we still corrupted? Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And as you go through Scripture, you will see R.T. Jones goes through the Old Testament and he goes for the word, for one of the words for anger, the main one, af. And he locates it 47 times. And of the 47 times that it is there with regards to Anger, for human anger, not God's anger, human anger. Of the 47 times, 42 or 89% are references to single, sinful anger. That means, brothers and sisters, when we get angry, there's a 90% chance that it's sinful. And maybe an 11% chance that you're leaning on the righteous side. The odds are against it. 
And so when people come and say, well, I, I, it's my anger is not sinful anger. I've got the righteous type. I'm saying, look, you're that 11%. Let me hear about it. And so we see up here, okay, three criteria. This is Robert Jones. This is not me. This is Robert Jones. Three criteria for righteous anger. And our model is Jesus. And you can look at your anger and say, okay, is this me when I get upset? Righteous anger reacts against actual sin according to God's word, not perceived sin or personal offense. Righteous anger reacts against actual sin according to God's word. Righteous anger focuses on God and his kingdom, his rights and his concerns, not on me, my kingdom, my rights, or my concerns. When you get upset, when your employer doesn't treat you well, were you as upset when he didn't treat the cleaning lady well or other people? Righteous anger is accompanied by other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways. And so we see Moses getting upset when the Hebrew slaves are being abused by the Egyptians, right? He's angry. Is it justifiable? Yes, what the guy's doing is not right. Does he share some of God's anger and offense? Absolutely he does. But the way in which he handles that anger is sinful. He kills him and he becomes a murderer. And then later on, is Moses provoked by the children of Israel? Absolutely. Would you and I be angry if we traveled with them for 40 years in the desert and had to deal with all their complaining and them wanting to stone us? Absolutely. Was it an offense against God? Absolutely. But when Moses the second time takes his staff and he strikes the rock in disobedience to God's word, when we disobey God's word, brothers and sisters, when what accompanies our anger, even if it's correct, we're upset that people are performing an abortions. Well, the moment we go and kill the abortion doctor, I got news for you. That ain't righteous anger. Right? Can I have my next slide? This is from Wayne Mack. And this is a measure of our anger when it is unrighteous. This is not me. This is Wayne Mack. Unrighteous anger, the test. It involves brooding or fretting or keeping a running record of how we have been mistreated. Brooding or fretting or keeping track of wrongs against us personally. Contra 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not keep track, right? God does not keep track when he forgives us, right? When we're holding those things that happened two months, three months, four months ago, and those things are coming up, brothers and sisters, and we're thinking about it. Psalm 37, do not fret over what the evil do. Do not fret over the evil man. You might be attacked. People might be doing wrong to you. Yes, it's the reality. Jesus has promised it. But when that's what we're thinking and brooding about and staying up at night and worrying about, we've got to stop and say, okay, something's got a foothold in my anger. When we pretend that we are not angry, I'm not angry. This is no big deal. I just was a little bit frustrated, irritated. I was just a little bit annoyed. When we return evil for evil or we attack the person with whom we are angry. When we attack or hurt a substitute. Like Cain killing Abel. Like I came home and I had a bad day so I punched a hole in the wall. I didn't hurt anybody. But it's a warning sign, brothers and sisters. God doesn't go around punching the hole in the wall, and neither did Jesus. Well, why, brothers and sisters, did the Lord God create us and give us the gift of anger? 
As we walk through this, we see that anger is a fire alarm, brothers and sisters. It goes ding, 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 ding. And it tells us that there's something wrong in the world we live in. And there are things that are wrong in the world we live in. It is unjust. It is not right. And we need to see that before we get too comfortable like Cain and his descendants building cities and having a good old time. We do need to be grieved. We do need to be upset. We do need to be praying for the president and congressmen and senators and bookstores. And we need to be on our knees praying for them. Do we pray for our teachers in our schools? And do we pray for our neighbors? As if we're grieved and disturbed and upset and angry over the sin and the idolatry that's around us. Not until it gets uncomfortable for us. So praise God he does that for us. Our anger is a fire alarm, but it's also a fire alarm to say our hearts are not right. And there are things in our heart that the Lord lovingly and graciously wants to get after. Why? So that He can be present in our lives. And that brings us to our final point for this morning, brothers and sisters. God's gracious counsel offers us hope in Christ alone. This is where the Lord is bringing us. He's bringing us to the point where we say our entertainment, our social media, our technology, our skills, our job, our well, it's not enough. Look at the end of Genesis 4, verse 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time, what happened? People began to call upon the name of the Lord. Cain's family's still living. But it's pretty clear to everyone, that ain't good. But what we have here is more than just another child, brothers and sisters. We have God keeping his promise that he gave in the garden in Genesis 3 when they sinned. That a seed will come and this seed will bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent will bruise his heel. There's a promise of salvation that he gives that God's word will be fulfilled and a path of salvation will be provided. And God keeps that word and God keeps that promise. So God's promise of his presence and promise of hope comes through his word. And we see that promise being fulfilled. And we see the line of Seth. And from Seth eventually comes Noah. And from Noah comes Abraham. And from Abraham comes Moses later, Jacob, Isaac, David, and ultimately a new king whose name is Jesus. One who is able to rule over our hearts and our desires because he is greater than our sin and our sinful desires. But here's the question. Will we listen to the Lord and will we call upon his name? And so the Lord at the end of this gives us hope because the people of God at the end have come to that point where they're willing to call upon the name of the Lord. What do you think? The murder in the family and all that ugliness. Speculation I know. But I can only imagine as they saw the world in which they were living and what was becoming and they saw Cain's success and all the people who were populating along with all the murders of Lamech. 
So how do we deal with our anger, brothers and sisters? God's remedy for us is himself. And as you look at the book of Ephesians, which talks a lot about anger, but it does so in chapter 5 and chapter 4 and chapter 5. Okay, in those two areas. And as you walk through that, you see what the Apostle Paul does. As he points to them, to all that they have in Christ. And he spends the first three chapters reminding them and calling them to pray and to consider what the Lord has done in their life. He's calling them to listen to the Lord. And so for us, brothers and sisters, as we consider our issues with anger, anxiety, and discontent, are you listening to the Lord? Do we call upon his name? Do we spend time listening to what he has to say about our lives? Paul prays for those Ephesians and says, I'm praying that your eyes will be open, that you'll be able to see God and what he's doing and the love of Christ that's in your life. And brothers and sisters, the place to begin with our anger is not just in our anxiety, is not just to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing this. We need to spend time in the presence of the Lord because that's the remedy. We need to spend time listening to Him. And so when folks come to me and say, you know, I struggle with anger, I struggle with this, I struggle with lust, whatever, and then we talk together and we find out they've been on vacation, they've been busy, they've started school, and where's the Lord in the mix? Well, listen, no wonder that that's taken over because the Lord loves you and His remedy is Himself. And the place we have to be, are we desperate enough to stop concealing and to run to the Lord and say, Lord, there's only one thing that's needful. I need to sit at your feet. I need to even step back from ministry. I need to slow down. I need to hear what you have to say to me. And this is what Paul is praying for in Ephesians 1 through 3, that they'll be able to see and know and walk in the will of the Lord because they see how much the Lord loves them and what he's done for them. And then to remind them, you no longer are in darkness. You've been brought into the kingdom of light. You have a new king. You have a new life. You have a new heart. You have a new desire. What are you doing with those? And then he goes on and he talks about, look, you have a new choice. That sinners don't have because you belong to the king. You can listen to your sinful desires or you can put those off and you can suffer and you can choose to be with Christ and you can choose to put on his love, his joy, his peace, his self-control. You can choose to rid yourself of anger, wrath and malice and slander and bitterness. You have the power because the spirit of God dwells in you. And you have the choice on a daily basis to hope in the Lord and to walk with Him hand by hand where He fills up your life. The challenge is, brothers and sisters, we don't want to. We want a little bit of the media. We want a little bit to be able to do this. We want to hang on to this. We want to still have a good time. We want all these little things. Well, brothers and sisters, we have to make a choice. Julie will tell you, and I'll start to close with this. And thank you for being patient with me. I'm American. I love this country. It's been a great country to me. I am American. And I wouldn't want to live anywhere else in the world. And the Lord has been so good to me here. But anytime anything comes up in Canada, I'm kind of interested. And if there's a Canadian sports team, I'll cheer for them. And if there are Canadian basketball players, I'll cheer for them too. So my wife has had to deal with 
my love affair with Steve Nash and everything related to that. Well, we had a friend who told us that he went to college with Steve Nash. Here in Santa Clara, I think, he went. And he said, yeah, I used to see him walking up and down the hallway and he would have tennis balls and he would be bouncing tennis balls in his hand in the hallway, both hands, right? Well, why would Steve Nash do that? He was making a conscious choice that the pattern he developed in his life is that he would be able to handle the basketball equally well in his left hand and his right hand. And as he did that, he became incredibly fast, right? It became instinctive. It became second nature. It was a habit and a pattern and a choice that enabled him to overcome the basketball that came from a desire to be a great basketball player, right? And brothers and sisters, as we look at our anxiety, our discontent, and our anger, and we look at all that Jesus has given us, and we say, we applaud that on the basketball court. Accountability, diligence, choices, developing habits of the heart that lead to patterns. Yeah, but Steve Nash had the talent. But yeah, you have Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit and everything that you need to succeed and overcome, God has given you. Are you going to sit in the bench or are you going to make choices that lead to patterns, that lead to habits, that are all about loving Christ and being with Him and putting off the sinful desires of this world and instead to put on your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you have given us a hope that this world does not have. You have given us yourself. And the remedy that we need for our anger, anxiety, and discontent is you. Lord Jesus, would you be our beginning and our end, our joy, our pleasure, our delight, our hope in good times and bad. Would you be our King and our Lord. In your name we pray, amen.